calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Remember the question that you may have had as a child, maybe you ask each other, who did you want to be when you grow up? Some of times it's what do you want to be, you know, what profession, but who do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to share one of the deepest secrets of my heart of who I wanted to be when I grew, uh, when I grew up. And you may say, well, Carlos, you're still growing up, who do you want to be? But for me, it was the six million dollar man, Lee Majors. Is anybody with me? Some of the younger, I think they did a reboot of this, didn't they? The six million, the bionic man. Lee Majors was the actor. I think he was an astronaut in the, in the uh, story and he had an accident. So they had to rebuild him and they gave him bionic legs and bionic arms and he had a bionic eye. And as a result, he was super fast and he was super strong. And we all know that Lee Majors at one time was married to Farrah Fawcett as well. And so I thought as a young lad, being married to Farrah with the feathered hair wouldn't be so bad either. So I wanted to be the six million dollar man. We all had somebody that we wanted to be. But this scripture is talking also about growing up, isn't it? About who we are meant to be. In fact, who we are going to be when we grow up. But this who we are is bigger than simply an individual goal, isn't it? As we look at this scripture. We see that this who we are meant to be when we grow up is corporate. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Says verse 13. Uh, for, uh, verse 15. That we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's corporate. And it's also symbiotic. Meaning we aren't the whole body, we're a part of it. But we have been organically joined into it. And we help to make up the fullness of the body. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with it, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. 
So it's a symbiotic relationship with this who, this body. And furthermore, it's ongoing. Meaning this body is under construction even as we speak. It is growing up. It's a reality that's happening right now if, even though we can't necessarily see it except through eyes of faith. So really the challenge, the goal of my scripture is to expand our vision. Perhaps our vision is too limited that we simply are thinking in terms of individuality, who I am to be. And that we've lost sight of the bigger picture. The bigger question is, who are we to be? And what is my part in that? Well, in order to answer that, I think we need to look at three particular points. Number one, what is this body? If I'm a part of a bigger body than simply my body, what exactly is it? Number two, how is it being built? What's my part to play in this building up of this body? And then finally, number three, what does it look like when it's finished? How will we know when the body is mature? So let's tackle these questions. Number one, what is this body? Paul says in verse one, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we see that the Christian has been called and he or she has a calling. We were in one state and we have been called into another state. This word calling, if you look throughout the New Testament, you see it used in several contexts that help to paint a picture. Such as Romans 1.6, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In other words, I thought I belonged simply to myself. Though that wasn't true, we were actually slaves to sin and to Satan. But now we belong to someone else who has purchased us with his blood. I like how Paul starts out this passage, right? I, a prisoner for the Lord. I belong to him. He is my captor, my willing captor. I belong to Christ and you also belong to him. We've been called out of an old life and brought into a new one. We have a new owner, so to speak. And 1 Peter 2.9 talks about the corporate nature of this calling. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. So the church is actually the ecclesia. If you look at those words, the, are, it means the ekkaleo, those who have been called out. We are the assembly of those who have been called and brought into a body. And so Paul is saying that we have a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It's interesting watching. I think... You know, there's, there's a lot of grumbling over our president. And some of the grumbling over our president is not as much in terms of even the decisions, but the manner in which he makes them. Because we have in our mind a picture of what is presidential. To walk in a manner worthy of the office to which you have been called. Now, if we have been called to be sons and daughters of God, if this is the office we now occupy, the position we now have, what is the manner in which we are to call 
with such a great position, with such a great inheritance. So we have been called. And Paul says to walk in a worthy manner. And then Paul begins to describe how we are to walk in this worthy manner. And it's very interesting because he immediately goes to how we are to treat one another, doesn't he? He doesn't speak about a noble appearance or the way we are to carry ourselves, but rather how we are to treat one another. Look at verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love. How we walk in a manner worthy is to be shown in how we treat those around us. It makes sense that we would treat one another with humility and gentleness, doesn't it? When you have come face to face with God and you've seen His holiness and you've seen your position of wretchedness and sinfulness compared to Him, there should be a humility in how we look at one another, how we treat one another. When we see that we have been saved by grace through faith and this not of ourselves, that it is a work of God who has made us who we are. We should walk with humility and gentleness with one another because we realize that we're not all that. We realize that it's by God's grace that we have this position and surely we should treat others with grace, with patience and forbearance. You know, it's those who carry themselves and who think they're extremely important who are the impatient ones, aren't they? Because they expect that they should get what they want when they want immediately. When I look at my life and when I'm upset and I'm impatient, it's because I'm first. But no, walking in this manner worthy of our calling is to exhibit patience as well as endurance with one another, bearing with one another. The word is endurance. And sometimes we do have to endure one another. I know that people have to endure me through my ups and downs. And yet because Christ has endured us, He has come alongside us and loved us in spite of ourselves. We are to walk in the same way. The question is why? Why are we to walk in this way? Because we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, something happened when Christ called you and you and you. He brought us out and He's brought us together. He's united us. I don't know if you used to have a big uh, tray of Legos at your house. But He's put us together and what's amazing is all of those pieces can fit. Notice how many times the word one is used here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all. See, we're being united to one thing. There's one Holy Spirit that lives in each one of us. That one hope is the hope of heaven the hope of the inheritance that we have. We have one king. There's one faith. There's not ten Bibles. There's one. There's one truth. There's one God who is the Father of all. And so what we are to do as we are eager to maintain this unity of the Spirit, notice it does not say eager to create this unity of Spirit. 
It's eager to maintain it. Because that unity has already been created when Christ came into your life and your life and my life. There's an eagerness to maintain that which is. And the way that oneness is maintained is when Christ is in the center of everything. You know, if there's one thing this world needs, it's oneness and unity. I mean, why can't we get on the same page with one another? Why can't we understand one another? Why don't even we want to try to understand one another? Why is there so much misunderstanding and hate and rush to judgment? It's because there's not one faith. There's not one Lord. There's not one hope. They don't have the blessing of that happening. But Christ is building a new community right alongside the old one. There's a new nation, a new citizenship of believers who have been brought in Christ. And whether you're worshiping right now and are a member of this body because you are a believer or you're worshiping right now in Tokyo or you're worshiping right now in Ceylon, excuse me, Sri Lanka, you are part of one body. There's a new community being built. Do you know there are 11 major organ systems in the human body? Can you name them? The circulatory system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, the uh, skeletal system, and it goes on and on. They're all part of one body, but they're different systems. And the question is, why do they accept one another? It's because the human immune system is designed to attack anything it doesn't recognize and each one of your cells has a particular set of antigens on them on the surface of each cell. I mean, you guys already know this, I know, but I'm just sharing. In fact, you even know that they're called major histocompatibility complexes, MHC proteins. And so the white blood cells, as they go through the system, are examining each cell. There are hundreds of these MHC proteins. And the reason you don't reject yourself as a body is because you are one and the same. However, when a transplant has to occur, they go and they're trying to find a suitable match. And there's a couple of things. The first is they have to have the same blood type. But they run a panel and they're looking for six specific MHC proteins out of the hundred. They're sort of the six major. And those are the ones that are going to indicate even if you have a chance at accepting it. But even if you do accept it, there's still going to have to, you're going to have to put in these immunosuppressants into the body so the body doesn't reject it. You may be in medicine for the rest of your life. See, the point I'm trying to make is that God has done a miraculous work in your heart and in my heart. He's made it possible for us to recognize one another. The Spirit is bonding us together. Why is God going through all of this trouble? Because He's doing something greater than simply my self-fulfillment. His goal to reconcile and restore is greater than simply me. It's the world that God is about. He's going to fix everything. 
And so my question for you is, who do you want to be? Well, if I was honest, Carlos, I want to live a good life. I want to somehow get my kids through college. I want to put enough money in my retirement account. And I want to comfortably retire and die. That's the goal of my life. And I'm here to tell you that you are wasting your life. God has a bigger picture than simply the good life. I want you to get a bigger vision of what God is doing. Because the church is the hope of the world. The message of the gospel is the hope of the world. And we are to be a demonstration of what God is doing and will do with humanity. And so we must live in a manner worthy of our calling. We must participate in the body of Christ, eager to maintain the unity. This day, when we gather together to participate in loving one another, in being present with one another, in serving, but not only this day, but during the week, Am I engaging with anyone else or is Sunday sort of my one little section where I come in and I get a spiritual shot and then I run out? God is doing so much bigger than that and is going to do and wants to do so much bigger in your life. So we must engage with one another. We must see the importance of walking with humility and meekness, with forbearance with one another. We are the parts of the body. What happens when we don't do our part? Well, this leads me to my second point. If we know what the body is, we have to ask the question about how it's being built. Because clearly the body is being built. Notice verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul has been going on and on about one and one and one. And he turns the corner. And he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now he's not talking about the grace of salvation. No, he's talking about a different grace. A grace given to you, a gift of grace given to you that you wield for the building up of this body. In other words, you are a bodybuilder. You have a part to play. And the scripture goes on to explain Jesus descending and ascending into heaven and pouring out gifts. And notice that these gifts are individual according to the measure of Christ's gift. They're different. Now the question is, why do we need these gifts? Verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The pastor is to equip the saints, which is, are you, for the work of ministry. In other words, your work is for the ministry of building up the body of Christ. That may surprise you to hear that I'm a minister, but you are. You're not a pastor, which means shepherd. You're a minister, which means servant. I also am a minister. A servant and your role, your specific role that you play is building up the body. Now Carlos, I thought that was the job of the pastor. 
He's the one who's supposed to preach and so on. No, this actually shows the role of the pastor, doesn't it? Verse 11, that Paul, that God, in addition to giving individual gifts to each person in the body, also has given apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry so that you would be able to build up the body. This word equip is an interesting word. A, a translation, a literal translation is to repair that which is broken or to supply that which is lacking. In other words, you have a gift but it needs training. It's not good enough just by itself. There's something lacking in it, your ability to wield it. And as a result, a group of people has been given to help you grow and mature in that particular gift. Now, the particular people that we see here, the apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, they evangelists, they all are experts, they all have word gifts. Meaning they have the gifts of preaching and teaching the Word of God. So it's the Word of God that I am as a shepherd and teacher that is supposed that I'm supposed to bring to you that you need to take into your life to mature in in order to effectively use the gift that God has given you. You see, we see that it is a uh, once that you receive that Word, once you build it uh, into your life. The eventual goal is a unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. See, we can't have faith until we have a knowledge of the Son of God, right? For who we have faith in. You can't have faith in someone that you don't know about, that you don't know who is to exercise faith. So my responsibility is to help give you knowledge of the Son of God through the preaching of the Word. And your responsibility is to take that and to build your life on it by faith so that the body would be mature. How do we know what a spiritual child looks like? Look at Ephesians 4.14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, what it's saying is when we are young in Christ, when we are babes in Christ, it's so easy to get off track to the realities of who we are and who Christ is and what He plans and what He has for us. In other words, we hear the doctrine of the world. We hear the message of the world that says your worth is not based on Him. Your worth is based on what you do. And we tend to gravitate and move toward that message. And we lose sight of who we are. It's a constant battle, isn't it? You hear this message and then you go out and you're instantly bombarded by a whole new set of messages. Many of which are totally opposite of what we're communicating here, right? It's become even worse in terms of the ability for people to get in your head with 
uh, the devices, the iPad, the iPod, the iPhone, constant message, message, message. And then with cookies, you know, they follow you around where you go, certain messages. They know it's, it's a constant stream. And if we do not grow up in our faith and knowledge of the Son of God, this will be our life. Do you ever feel this way? I'm, I'm constantly being thrown around. Left, right, I'm up, I'm down. I know what's true. I'm not sure what's true. I'm angry. I'm, my emotions are all over the place. You see, each of you has been given a gift of grace for the building up of the church. But not so perfect that it does not need repair. The church needs you and you need the church. See, why is the church so ineffective in America today? It's really only two reasons I can think of. Number one, the word isn't being preached. People aren't getting the good stuff. They're getting a sermonette and becoming a Christianette. They're not getting the good stuff. And that falls on pastors and they will answer and elders and they'll answer for it. But the second is, the word isn't being applied. In other words, I'm not taking seriously my responsibility to hear God's word and to act on it. You won't know that God's word is true until you exercise it. The pathway to joy is paved with the stones of obedience. This summer I went on vacation and I've taken up my uh, old sport of kite surfing again. I love kite surfing. And so I got a new kite and went down to Bald Head Island and this is a different kite because normally it's the ones that uh, you pump up. If you've ever gone to the beach and you see those giant kites up in the sky, well this one looks more like a, a parachute. Okay? And so I wasn't trained on it though. I was so anxious to use it that I didn't take time to get trained on it. I just grabbed it and I went. And for a little while it was working out quite swimmingly. Forgive the pun. But all of a sudden the, the, the uh, uh, wind dropped and I dropped my kite in the water and the waves were picking up a little bit and I did not know how to get it back up. And so you're attached to this 15 square meters of sail that's taking on water and it's pulling you along and you are being up and down buffeted by the waves. See, a second ago I was above the waves, skimming beautifully. But now I was at the mercy of the waves, attached to this thing. See, I think that's a little bit of the picture. God has given you not only salvation, but a part to play, a, a skill, a gift to develop in your role of being a part of this beautiful body. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need for this body to be built. God has given us a new manual, the Word of God, and He's given you a coach to help you learn it. But you have to grow up. I'm learning this with my kids. Nobody can make you grow up. The Word of God is for you. But you have to take it in. And this applies to me as well, you know. I created this document actually and I've been using it. I call it my wake-up document. I've told people my relationship with Christ is like the movie Fifty First Dates. If you ever saw that, you know, uh, she goes to bed, uh, Drew Barrymore, and she wakes up and she's totally forgotten what she knew to be true. 
And so they finally figured out and they made a videotape. So as soon as she would wake up, it says, read this, watch this. And she would watch it and she would get caught up on the realities of what is true. And so my wake-up document is just full of verses. Who you are. You would think I would know that by now, right? Know who I am in Christ. Who I was before Christ. What you did, God, and continue to do. Who I am now in you and you are and who you are in me. And what now? now? You would think the pastor wouldn't need something like this. Oh, yes, I do. We're all in this together. I have to take responsibility for my walk in Christ. I'm going I'm to post this, by the way. It's just a bunch of verses. It might be helpful. It'll be on our website down at the blog section uh, by the afternoon. My encouragement to you is to pursue knowledge of Him. That's what this church is about. It's why we do classes. It's why we provide the devotionals and the reading material that's there. It's why we do discipleship. It's why our elders are available to you. I love that call. I want to grow in Christ. How do I do it? I'm not sure. We have a role with one another as well. It says in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love that we grow up. I used to think that meant just telling each other the truth, you know, being honest and loving with one another. No, it means more than that. It means speaking the truth of the gospel and the word of God to each other. We are to teach each other as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week. So not only hearing the word from the pulpit, but being a part of searching out the word together. It's why we do community groups. Coming together to learn from one another. To speak love. So what's your Bible? Well, I do a devotional. It's about five minutes a day. And I'm on the internet for four hours. And I watch TV for two hours. Well, Carlos, I can't read the Bible for six hours a day. But we can meditate on it, right? We can think God's thoughts as we're going along. We can choose what we listen to. Choose what we watch. Choose what we're learning. There's a whole section on resources on our website. If you want to go and get, where do I go on the internet to learn more about God's Word? I need God's Word so that I might grow up, so that I might participate, so I might engage. We not only have to grow up in faith, but we have to use our gifts. Now you may say, what's my gift? It's very easy for you to figure this out. No, it isn't. That's not true. But it's very easy to start figuring it out. Ask yourself the question, where can I strengthen the faith of this body? And see what comes to mind. It may be in service. Maybe in hospitality. It may be in building and being a part of maintenance and organization. I want to show you a picture. I don't know if uh, I was at University of Rich... Uh, I was in Richmond yesterday at the Richmond Museum of Art. I often go on these jaunts, these intellectual cultural jaunts around Virginia. And uh, we was looking at beautiful paintings and uh, there was a question which is, what is what's your favorite era of painting? And my favorite era 
or style of painting is Impressionism. You know, if you remember Impressionism, there were the, the French guys, uh, Monet and Manet and Pizarro and all of these folks. They, they, were, they were very avant-garde. And they were not uh, well-liked by the establishment because the establishment, the way they thought was, you conceive of the whole and then draw out the whole and then you put in the parts. But the Impressionists, if you look at an Impressionist painting, it is a collection of small brush strokes or even little points that if you look at just a little section of it you can't figure it out. They decided to go from the inside out. That it's the little parts being put together that make up the whole. So this is actually just a little part of a little section of a painting and if we show the whole painting drum roll please it's a very famous painting by Claude Monet this is actually a picture of Claude Monet's wife and I think I think uh, his son there is in the background see I think that's what God is doing I said my third point was what's the final picture the final picture is that until we all attain that we'll attain unity of the faith and the knowledge and we come to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ See, there's a template that we are being built into. Being built up into. Right? That as we speak the truth in love, we are going to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom this whole body is joined and held together as each part is working properly. Here's what's amazing about all of this. Each of us is a brush stroke in the picture of Christ. That when you take the whole body, you'll look at it and you'll see that it is a striking picture, in fact a living picture, of the living God who is working and living through us. That's a goal worth giving your life to. Being a part of what God is doing. And so what's your brush stroke? Where can I strengthen the faith of this body? Where can I take my place, if you will, in contributing to this picture? Where can I be a little Christ to someone else? Maybe my gift is administration and organization. Hey, I, these are my gifts. I want to help in that way. I see something that needs organizing and being a part of. I'm going to engage there. Maybe it's teaching our kids. Maybe it's singing and worship. Maybe it's giving financially. Maybe it's helping, not even in the church, but helping to create faith. Meaning using the church, being a part of the church, and engaging our culture to reach out and build the body by bringing people into the body. Gifts of evangelism, and hospitality, and reaching out, and uh, uh, gifts like those. Always keeping our eye upon the final picture. Where do I end with all of this? You may feel like I have a very small part. There's no such thing as a small part in the kingdom of God. You take away one of those brush brokes, you will not have a complete Monet. You take away one of us, you will not have a complete Christ. We have a part to play with one another.
We're part of this body. So be a part of it. If you're not a member yet, come to me, send an email. I want to join. I want to learn more about what that means. Engage in community groups, in our women's breakfast, uh, excuse me, in our women's Bible study. There are opportunities to engage. Build up by listening to the truth, by taking responsibility for my own growth in Christ, through encouraging one another the words of truth. And take your place. And we'll be able to see, in small part, the wonder of the living Christ being manifested in this body as we join with other bodies. And ultimately, at the sound of the last trumpet call, we are a perfect image of the living Christ who is the Lord of his body who dwells within it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this picture. Lord, we are living stones being built together to create a temple. Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called. Help us to see that our responsibility, our opportunity is far more than simply self-actualization, simply peace, simply living a better life. Lord, but building up this body as we contribute to it. Lord, we pray that when people look at Redeemer, that they would see a picture of you, a living picture. Help us to be a part of that in whatever way you would have us as we look to strengthen the faith of one another and be strengthened by one another. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. It's now time uh, in our service for our offering. Uh, we have, I think we've got some visitors here today, so if you are visitors, don't feel compelled to.